what is trauma trauma is different for the de for different people and um, my definition that i like is a definition where they say trauma is a person that is exposed to happening that has to do with their life circumstances or a specific life stage and then it leads to that person not being able to apply typical coping mechanisms to it and um, usually that then results in us either isolating ourselves or changing um, the way we view life drastically um, feeling that what we have to cope with life to cope with in life is just now not enough and then um, and then you feel traumatized so that means that for some people it can be traumatic to lose a pet and for other people it can be traumatic to be in an armed robbery and they can have a similar trauma response to that. So let's think of a few examples of what could cause trauma in a person's life. Sometimes it could be a single experience or a single event like being abandoned or going through a breakup or being um, involved in a crime. Um, other times it could be something that's more prolonged like a prolonged period of abuse or neglect or growing up in a family with a lot of conflict and fighting around and um, sometimes we, are, we even get traumatized by um, our current culture or the city or town that we live in. I think in Joburg there's a, a lot of exposure to crime and violence and um, we also get secondary trauma from our constant exposure through that, from reading the news, from seeing these things or from being the victim to that. Largely, the biggest impact on our lives is that we spend so much time trying to regulate our emotions um, caused by the traumas that are triggered throughout the day that we don't have time or energy left to invest in our relationships or being functional throughout the day. So basically, you're just trying to contain yourself the whole time and you forget to live in the here and now. But there are also more formal um, symptoms or occurrences in our lives. These can include illness, headaches, backaches, tummy aches. Um, it can lead to anxiety or depression, um, constant feelings of living in fight or flight. For some people, um, trauma causes emotional, emotional swings or being up and down all the time. It can cause outbursts of anger. And for others, it causes um, us to isolate ourselves, um, to not be social, spend time with ourselves all the time, not be with our friends, not getting involved in community. So I read a recent study by the University of Stellenbosch, and they've indicated that it seems like up to 20% of children in South Africa can um, actually fulfill the criteria for a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and these children urgently need treatment. Now, that is quite a large number. That means one in every five people around you um, might actually have a, a diagnosis for a disorder. Um, I've also read some statistics on, on things like sexual abuse, saying that it's possible that one in every four people has a history of sexual abuse. One of the first steps when it comes to, to healing, trauma, uh, healing of trauma and trauma memories is that you have to tell the story and bear witness to the trauma. So sometimes that means breaking the silence and sometimes that will be the first time that you'll ever tell someone about what happened. And sometimes we have to retell the story. I think on this note, it's really important to say that you this, that we're not saying you should go out and tell the story to everyone, okay? Um, in order to, to feel safe and consider your vulnerability, make sure that you create a safe space and you, and you share your story with someone you trust. 
this can be a trusting friend it could be um, maybe a pastor in the church uh, and sometimes it's really important to rather to, to seek professional help the next step um, in healing trauma is accepting support and moving into community and there is no better place for this than in the church if you want to go into a supportive community that can that can understand what you went through and that can support you and at the same time keep, get you to be closer to God, then join your connection. Great, sorry for that abrupt ending. Um, so this is our final evening of Soul Matters. And uh, as you're just watching that video, we are gonna talk a little bit about trauma tonight, but we also have three questions that were asked to us over the last four weeks specifically, and we thought that we'd address that as a panel as well. So you all know Mr. Marsha over here, who's amazing, and Ntando over there. Um, you're amazing too, indeed. Sorry, didn't mean to traumatize you there. Um, so I think some of the things that really struck, to, struck me as I, as I was listening to Karin talk about um, trauma in that video is just the city that we live in, this crazy place that we live in, um, where all of us have stories of loss, of violence, of something that happened to us personally. Um, more than that, we all know stories of stuff that's happened to people around us, don't we? And there's kind of a sliding scale of intensity and craziness to that. And I think because we live in the city and that is what we hear, that is what we sense, that's what we feel, we've kind of just created a new reality for ourselves. And it's not something we think about. We are hyper-vigilant in the city all the time because we have no idea what's coming next. Any little strange sound outside, we are there at the window. We're ready for action. And, and because we're hyper-vigilant, it keeps us in a space of being aware of trauma. It's protective, but it's also a little damaging. I had the privilege to be in North America earlier this year. I traveled for two solid months, seven weeks, all around North America. And this is how I know I'm from Johannesburg. Because I'm sitting in a Starbucks, because I couldn't find internet anywhere else. Um, and uh, the person next to me has a laptop, an iPad. I don't know what they're doing. They've got their whole office, every device you can imagine, spread out in two tables, two sets of headphones. Um, they get up and leave and don't pack anything away and take it with them. I'm sitting there going, <laughs> right, you know what I'm talking about. An hour later, they come back. <laughs> Nobody else even looks at their stuff. And that made me so aware again of how hypervigilant we are in our society. Um, I'm crying with laughter all over the States because everything is, you pay for yourself now. You go ring your own groceries through the tills <laughs> and you just walk out. <laughs> and if you only ring up every second item, there's really nobody checking on you. And yet, 99% of the time, everybody just rings through every item. There are people who take a chance, and so somebody was telling me that uh, Walmart and, and Target have actually started employing more security guards just to stand there, so there is actually a presence there. But they live in a society where they are not nearly as vigilant and aware as we have to be in this country. And, and what that made me realize was is that there's a couple of things that come from that. I think one of the first things that come from it is that we don't recognize secondary trauma. Every time we listen to 702, yes, I'm that old, um, or whatever, the news, 
and we, and we hear about stuff that's happening just roads away from us or just in the next um, suburb, um, we receive trauma from that story. Um, and then we go to work and we're telling the stories again. And the reason we're telling the stories is because what we're doing is it might come to us, but we're going to be ready. We want to watch out for it. And so we embrace the place of secondary trauma. The problem with secondary trauma is that it affects us just as if it happened to us. Everything Corinne described in that video. One of the things I see so much in counseling is that people will come and they'll talk to me about anxiety, about stress. And as we're talking, they'll gloss over a mugging that happened to them. My wallet was taken from me. I got stopped here and that's what happened. Or my house was broken to you. Thank the Lord I wasn't there. What I keep hearing is things like, praise God I wasn't there. Praise the Lord, Lord I wasn't killed. Praise the Lord I wasn't raped. And so what we do is we minimize our trauma. Because we're hearing stories that are so extreme, we, we don't think we're allowed to suffer the trauma we're suffering because all that happened was we got mugged. Because all that happened was our home got broken to. You know, what we think of as normal in Sweden, they will put you into an institution for. That's just the reality of it. We laugh at Americans when, they, when their mother gets sick for three weeks and they can't go to school because they're traumatized. We laugh at that. But actually, that's normal. That is traumatizing. But in our society, we minimize things. And the problem with minimizing is that, that we won't then actually deal with what's really going on. I don't know if you heard Corinne say this, but trauma is very personal. I've realized in counseling that one person's adventure is another man's trauma. <laughs> um, I am not adventurous. You know, people talk to me about jumping off cliffs with, with just the, I'm like, no. I, that will traumatize me. <laughs> But for them, it's highly exciting. And so trauma is a very personal experience. And if we experience it as a trauma, it is trauma. If your dog dying because it got hit in the road um, by a car traumatizes you, you are traumatized. But in this country, we immediately go, yeah, but people are being raped. People are being murdered. But the problem is, is it doesn't matter how the trauma came. If it's trauma, we live like we are traumatized. And I think one of the biggest things that comes to our society is, is empathy erosion. You know, even the tragic events that happened, the xenophobia, the gender-based violence stuff that was going down, um, when was it, in the beginning of October, whenever it was, and we had all the men standing on the stage, such a beautiful moment. Um, there was a lot of criticism to our government because people got on the radio and said things like, oh, well, women should just learn martial arts. <laughs> women should just learn how to defend themselves. That's because we have no more empathy. When, when your empathy has been eroded by trauma, you just jump to solutions. Are you insured? That's what we say, hey. My car gets, oh, well, are you insured? Okay, it's fine. Because I can't sit and help you hold your pain and your trauma because you're the 99th story I've heard today. Plus what's actually happening in my life. The irony of it is the only way we restore our empathy is to be empathetic. <laughs> The only way we can restore empathy is actually to sit and listen to other people. And that's hard. That is really hard. But that's why we've been doing this series, because we want to become a community that's a lot more empathetic. That when somebody in our midst is struggling, we can see that's real. You're not just making that up. And we want to help you. Yes, you have a responsibility. One of the questions, we're going to talk about that a bit more. But my responsibility is to listen to you and to help you find your empathy again. Awesome, thanks Greg. 
Greg has an awesome story about uh, his empathy erosion. Maybe you can touch on it a little later. Um, I am going to be touching on post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and as people, the way that God has designed us, we have such capacity. We have incredible capacity to hold things, right? So our soul is so deep, so vast. Dare I say our souls are eternal. So there's this capacity to be able to have something happen and still keep going. We will find ways to cope. We will apply some coping mechanisms. Some of them healthy, some of them not so healthy. But the, the soul really has capacity to hold a lot. Like Greg was saying, a lot of the things that we may um, kind of think are frivolous, they need to be held somewhere. Your dog dying needs to be held somewhere. Um, the traumas that you go through need to be held somewhere. And post-traumatic stress disorder speaks of traumas that we have experienced and they're being held, but they're not necessarily being processed until you experience a trigger. So I'm gonna read a couple of things. I also wanna say that um, the body is really clever. So there are some times where you will experience stress and it's a good stress. So I'll give you an example. We were at, um, we were in George uh, for a staff retreat. Kuze was about three. The kids were playing, we're by the beach, the kids are playing and they'll kind of run into the water and then run back before it kind of grabs them. So they're playing and everything is safe. Kuze's very like agile and sporty. So he, he loves the ability to just be adventurous. So let's say the beach is here, or rather, let's say I'm sitting here and the beach is where Pila is, Pila is or where that black door is, right? So the, the tide keeps coming in and out, in and out, a good 10 minutes of playing. Then all of a sudden, I'm watching Kuze, there's this wave that comes, he can't see it. First, actually, what happens is, he runs in and he tries to run out, but the tide kind of grabs him, so he can't run as fast as he anticipated he'd be able to run, right? And he's being pulled back. Immediately, I am freaking out, right? So that's a good stress. I'm a mom. My kid is looking like they're in distress. Something comes up in me. I see a wave coming behind him, right? <laughs> in that moment, I was in a conversation, I think it was with Roger and, and someone else, and I just stood up and I bolted. I started running. Guys, actually, it was a little further. I just started. It felt a lot further. I started running. I freaked. I ran. The wave covered Kuze completely. I couldn't see him. And I said, Lord, <laughs> I'm running and I'm going to stick my hands into the water. And I pray that Kuze is where I last saw him. And I just ran, I couldn't see my son, and I just, as the wave came over, this was the second wave, right? I just, like, by faith, I just grabbed as much sea as I could grab. And there he was, <laughs> right? So that's a good stressor. But what happens is our body responds a particular way to stress. And after that, I was definitely had jitters, and I was like, oh my goodness, what happened? And a day later, I was okay. But sometimes we experience traumas and our bodies go into that state 
but were unable to shake that feeling off. So after a month, if you've gone through a trauma and you're still feeling the effects of the trauma as though it just happened, you most likely have post-traumatic stress disorder. Please go to a professional to be diagnosed, but it is, it is good to, to know. So I'm gonna read some criterion for post-traumatic disorder. So again, trauma is, is common to all of us and we all respond to it differently. We'll either have a fight response, a flight response, or a freeze response, okay? Um, when the experience lingers, then uh, you know that you have a problem. Some psychiatrists call it a hidden wound because if you turn to someone next to you, you wouldn't be able to tell the traumas that they've gone through. Again, speaking to the capacity that we all hold. Right? People are sitting here looking normal, but we all have a story. We all have had some kind of trauma that we've had to walk through. Okay, so the stresses, a person was exposed to death or threatened death, actual or uh, serious injury, or actual or th threatened sexual violence in the following ways. Direct exposure, witnessing the trauma, or learning that a relative or close friend was exposed to the trauma. Um, last year was a super traumatic year for me and I lost a cousin through a really, really terrible accident. She was about 27 and it, it, it was just really a freak accident and that was completely traumatizing for me. Criterion being the intrusion systems. So the traumatic event is persistently re-experienced in the following ways. Unwanted, upsetting memories, nightmares, flashbacks, Emotional distress after exposure to traumatic reminders, physical reactivity after exposure to traumatic reminders. Safe to say I had a good couple of nightmares. And that wasn't just one nightmare or two nightmares. Close to four months after she had passed, I was still struggling to shake off um, that death and the trauma that it, that it caused me. The third criterion is avoidance. Avoidance of trauma-related stimulus after the trauma. Um, so avoiding trauma-related thoughts or feelings or trauma-related external reminders. So she actually lived a couple of minutes away from me and where it happened, it happened at her home essentially. And I mean, I'm, I'm glossing over the story, but it was, it was horrific. But for a long, long time, I avoided that route. I avoided that place because going past her place would trigger those, those stress emotions in me again. Then there's negative alterations in cognitions and mood. So if you are depressed, if you have an inability to recall key features of the trauma, um, a decreased interest in activities, feeling isolated, um, difficulty, difficulty experiencing positive effect. And then there are more which I will encourage you to read, read on. Um, so that you are aware of yourself and where you're at. For me, I found that with the grief, struggling to process and fulfilling some of, a lot of these criterion actually, that a, one way I realized that something was really off was when Siv and I would have an argument. My reaction would be just over the top because there was something about conflict that Actually, we had an argument before, just before we received the call that she passed away. So there was something about conflict that brought me back to that place. And I'd have a complete 
overreaction. And And this didn't happen once, it happened for a while. And there's something about grieving where you struggle to um, separate the grief and the issue, right? I was struggling to separate the grief the morning and the actual issue, which was, it was wrong. <laughs> but my reaction, nonetheless, was completely over the top. So there's something about trauma that just causes you to respond in ways that are not normal. You either sleep too much or you struggle to sleep. You either eat too much or you struggle to eat. Can I just interrupt before Ntando goes on? I think Marsha also brought up a great point around one of the things of trauma is that all trauma is loss. Something is taken from you. Something feels like it is ripped out of your life, okay? Um, when you lose a friend, a family member, somebody you love, you are in trauma. Grief is part of trauma. Um, and what Marsha is describing there is trauma is also a process that you have to go through. You can't just ignore it. You can, like I say, people coming for cancer, I can see two years ago you minimized your trauma and you've just tried to not think about it ever again because that's natural. I feel like we are, we are naturally pain averse. <laughs> I mean, our entire body, you know when you touch a hot plate, you know when there's pain in your body and we try and do everything we can not to feel pain. And the problem with trauma is you can't just take a, a quick painkiller or <laughs> you know, rub on some cream. It, you have to actually go after it. Um, thanks, Ntando. And so to go after it, and this took, a while for me to learn is that you have to tell your story. There is importance in telling your story. There's no other way to deal with trauma outside of starting by telling your story. Because when you tell your story, there is something in your brain that is able to associate. Because trauma comes to put us in cognitive dissonance. So it separates what I believe and how I behave. And so I can want to be a happy person, but because I'm traumatized, there's nothing in me that can be happy, even though I believe I'm a joyful person. And so when I begin to tell my story, I begin to join the dots, and something happens in my brain that begins to help me connect the dots of who I am and what has happened to me, which helps me separate um, the, 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 the issue from what's happening, for how, who, I, who I am and the issue. And you know, to, to tell your story requires us to find safe spaces. Now, yes, it's important to tell your story, but there is an issue if every time someone asks you how you are, you're going to say, I'm traumatized. Hi, Steve, how are you? So traumatized, boy. Just so traumatized. The, the, then there's something that, yes, you're aware, but there's an issue if you're going to tell the whole world that you're traumatized at every corner, on every post, on your social media, on everything that you do. It, your status or your disposition cannot be, I'm traumatized. But there's an importance in finding the safe spaces to tell the story, like connect group, like counseling um, or discipleship. Those, th those spaces are good spaces to start. And you know, I had to go for, a trauma, for trauma reduction sessions because as many of you know, I got ill and that illness for me, and, and, and Karin said it on, on that video that sometimes with, not sometimes with trauma, you're so busy trying to contain the trauma that you're not able to live a normal life. And I started realizing that the things I knew I loved, I had no interest in anymore. I wasn't interested in singing. I couldn't write music. 
I wanted to see no church person. I wanted no coffees, no lunches, no counseling sessions, no discipleship. I wanted to do nothing that involved people. Yet I know very well that those are the things that made me come alive. If you asked me to lead worship, I wanted to crumble because it required me to connect with something that, was, that felt beyond me at that moment. And so what I needed to do was I went to counseling. And we started talking through what happened and where I was. And then my counselor said, you know, you're traumatized. And we're going to have to do some trauma reduction sessions. And what happens in a trauma reduction session is that you go back to the event. You visit it. You sit in the event that you're in. And you tell the story. You narrate it to your counselor a few times. And each time, it's like an onion. It gets peeled off. Each time you peel a layer off and it gets a bit deeper and it gets a bit deeper, and, and you remember more and more about the details of what happened. But what I found important and so helpful is that as we were doing that, my brain felt like it was breathing for the first time. I'd felt stuck, and I didn't realize that I was stuck. But in that, I realized that I needed to bring Jesus into the situation. So I remember sitting there and thinking the one of the most traumatic moments was when the pain hit, and I was rolling on the floor, and I couldn't do anything about it, and I couldn't reach out to anyone, I couldn't even shout. And so I, would, I was rolling there, and that came to tell me that I'm alone and I have no one. And it's something I believed. I believed that when I'm, when I, as I live my life, I have no one available for me. And so when we sat in that trauma reduction session, I had to bring Jesus into that room, into that moment, and say that this was dark, and Jesus came in. Now, the beauty of what Jesus came to do is that he changed the narrative of how things were to look after this. Because trauma came to say, you're stuck here forever. Or I felt stuck there forever. But the minute I began to do trauma reduction and to invite Jesus into the narrative, I then could reimagine a better future, which I struggled to do. You couldn't have told me that there'd be a time where I was pain-free or that I'd be pain-free. Until I sat in those sessions and had to say, I can imagine myself walking, waking up in the morning, feeling no pain, going for a run, it not being painful, going to work, not struggling, going into a room and not wondering if the aircon is going to trigger another headache, going to friends and having coffee and not being worried that the caffeine is going to tighten my nerves and it's going to create pain. I had to reimagine a better future, and I couldn't have done that if I hadn't found a safe space. So it's important for us to find safe spaces to tell our stories, uh, you know, and, and, and allow ourselves to sit in the moment. I think in Joburg, we live such a busy life and everything, we have to be here, there, here, there, here, there, that we don't know how to sit in our stuff and to sit in the moment and to hold that something has gone wrong. And yes, I am stuck now, but I need help. And counseling can bring that help. Ultimately, Jesus can bring that help. So I learned through those moments that there was help, but I needed to tell my story. And you know, the Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so it's important to tell your story because there is power in you telling your story. By officially saying, Marsh, I'm traumatized by this and I'm feeling this way, something breaks because trauma brings shame over our lives. I felt so ashamed by the fact that I was so sick. I felt like a leper. I felt like sickness disqualified me. And, you know, I run a connect group, and I struggled to run my connect group during that time because I felt like, what do I have to give to these people when I am this broken and bruised and stuck in my stuff? 
and I, and, I, and I learned over time to tell my connected, guys, I am not okay. Something is wrong and I'm dealing with deep trauma. So I'm asking for grace. And what they did is that it helped people say, okay, I'll help you send the message before Connect starts to ask who's coming and do catering. Someone said, okay, I'll help with the prayer. I'll help with the prep. And what they did is that we shared the responsibility. So in my transparency, in my vulnerability, I got help not only mentally, but physically and practically with the stuff I felt like I couldn't do. And sometimes all I needed was a hug. So Siv had this habit where he would see me and he would stop. Whether he's typing or in the middle of a phone call, he'd stop and he'd say, what's happening, fresh, and he'd hug me. And he'd give me a firm hug and he'd leave. But I didn't realize how much I needed those hugs until about two weeks. He'd been doing it for two weeks and I thought, why? Why does this matter to me so much? It mattered because I felt seen. I felt known and I felt seen that he would stop and he would hug me. And he had no idea until I sent him a text. He was just loving on me. Maybe he saw some stuff, but you know, he was just loving on me. But I, it, I appreciated the fact that he could stop everything and embrace me. And my, some of my friends would stop and make a cup of tea for me because those things made me feel seen. But it started with me communicating that I'm not in a good space and something is wrong and that I need to help. I need help, essentially. So, Ntanda is also talking about inner healing here. And the basis of inner healing is that we bring Jesus to the trauma memory. Okay? Um, it's a, there is a bit of a skill to it. So, it's good to see somebody once or twice. But once you've experienced it once or twice, you are able to do it yourself. And this is the reality of trauma. What happened is never going to go away. But when Jesus visits our memory, it changes the story the trauma is telling us. Because suddenly we realize he is there. Now, I have this personal opinion that what touches me for negative in a day is 2% of what's actually coming against me all the time. Why do I say that? Because in Isaiah 64, Isaiah prophesies, and he says, nobody's ever heard of a God who works on behalf of his people who wait on him. God is working on our behalf all the time. The stuff that is actually touching you, you don't know the hundred other things that you didn't even see manifest because God was walk, working on your behalf. Yeah, we need to give him praise for that. We are protected. It's hard to understand that when, when Marsha's cousin dies the way she did. It's hard to understand that when something breaks into my life. But that is literally the least of what the enemy has sent against me because God is working on behalf of me. And so what happens in trauma reduction, what happens when I visit those places and I ask Jesus, where are you, Lord? What are you saying to me in this? You see, what we do as Christians is like, God, take the pain away. God, take this away. Don't. But if we will sit in that space, we will find him there. And when we find him there, he says things to us. He does things with us that convince us of how loved we are, that convinced us how much we are his, that doesn't change what happened, but changes what it's telling me about myself. And that's really important. So there really is a space for inner healing and trauma that can really help you. My personal opinion, though, is if you only go for inner healing and you don't do some cognitive counseling, you're going to struggle to renew your mind around that. And, and this is how we are as humans. We're re humans. We're really easy. Once the pain's gone, we're done. <laughs> But the problem is if something happens again and we haven't worked through the process of it, we might retard back to where we were before. I just want to say that but by the time I was doing trauma reduction, I'd been in counseling for the beginning, since the beginning of the year 
cognitively dealing with stuff. And what that helped me with is my thinking patterns. Because by the time the supernatural work of inner healing happened, I had the holding room for truth. Because if I hadn't done the cognitive work, there would be no holding room for the truth that Jesus would reveal when I asked him, where are you? Because all that would have filled, or that was filling my mind with the lies and the ideas that I had chosen to believe about my circumstance and my situation. So Greg is, is very right by saying, we must have gone through a cognitive process and then do some kind of inner healing or spiritual intervention because they work hand in hand. Um, so, as I've been trying to figure out my own stuff um, around trauma and difficult experiences, um, I've been faced with the real reality that suffering is a part of this thing that we call life. And it's a real part of this thing that we call life. And I've had to reckon with myself and realize or come to the, to the realization, probably more than once, that my life story does not have the capacity to hold all the stuff that I've gone through and stuff that I'm gonna go through, right? My, my, my narrative about my life, my dreams, my aspirations, there is not enough space to hold the weight that trauma brings. That is to say, our stories need to be deeply integrated with God's story. That's right. Deeply integrated. Because when, when the tough times come, and they will, I guarantee you, they will, your little life story will not be sufficient to hold up. Your little life story, my little life story, is not resourced enough to give me what I need when those moments of overwhelm come. Right? So, there's a difference between pursuing healing because you want to be fixed and pursuing healing because you understand that there's this holiness walk that you're walking out. Right? There's a difference between pursuing wholeness because you want to avoid pain and pursuing wholeness because you know there's this refining and this sanctification that is happening, and that, that cannot happen in our stories. It can only happen in light of God's story. So if I speak to you about refining and sanctification, you cannot hold it if you cannot hold the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of fallenness and sin and the enemy and depravity, etc., etc. Jesus coming, living a perfect life, dying a painful death that he didn't deserve, that we may be saved from this because there's an eternal hope that we are looking toward. Our hope needs to be anchored in eternity because our, our stories right now are not sufficient, right? And our stories individually are not sufficient. You cannot afford to feel that you're the only one going through what you're going through because that is not true. There is, there's history, there's stories, there's line upon line of, of the history of the earth of humankind of people who've gone through stuff. But even in their going through stuff, God is enough. If you look at him 
through his story, through who he says he is, through who he intends to be, through who he has called you to be and his promises as far as how he will resource you in your little life that is important to him, that you may run the race right till the end. Yeah. Thanks, much. There's... So before we go into tips of how to help someone going through the most, um, as we would say it, I think there is a place that ins that's important where we need to make a decision in light of what Marsha said. If, if it, a decision that is God bigger than the diagnosis I'm facing? Is God bigger than my trauma? Is God bigger than the circumstance I'm facing? Do you believe that God is bigger than that? And that he is able to stretch his hand and find you in that mess and still bring you into freedom. Because I found for me that I began to start walking in some kind of healing and freedom when I decided to dethrone the trauma. Because I was holding on to the trauma as a label and sometimes as an excuse to not be present in my story. So we have to remain present in the process in order for God to do what he only is able to do. The minute I use it as a plaster or as a banner that I'm traumatized and not I'm traumatized but Jesus is able to, then something is, is not in, 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 in the right state in my, in my belief and in what I think about who I am and who God is. But now what do you do when someone is actually going through the most and you want to support them? First, you need to acknowledge that what they're experiencing is real. Don't minimize another person's story just because you don't understand it. So I want to confess that when someone says, I've lost my dog, I'm just like, ow. You're crying for a dog. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, do you know how many kids are dying out there from poverty and hunger? But that's me minimizing someone else's pain. And not understanding that for Jack, who's just lost his dog, his dog has been his best friend since he was two. Or for Mbumelele, who lost his dog. Jablani, who lost his dog. Or his cat. Tutuzile, who lost his cat. But that for that person who's lost that pet, they have lost a companion. And they've lost someone, or some, a pet that they, did, they considered to be a friend and they considered to be a part of their family. And so their loss is as big as what I consider to be my mother's loss. So first and foremost, don't minimize people's pain. Listen and listen with your heart. Sometimes we listen, but we want to be quick to give answers and solutions. And that's not what someone needs when they're in some kind of um, mental spectrum challenge at that moment. They don't need you to give them solutions more than they need you to listen to them empathetically. And you know, um, it, empathy is to jump into the hole with someone and sit with them and hold their hand and listen. And then begin the process of coming out of the hole. Not to stand there and say, Ah, Hashem, so sorry for you. Which is our tendency is to go, Oh, shame. <laughs> also, spend time with them. Treat them normally. Because everything in them is abnormal and they probably will repel you when you're trying to be normal around them. Because all they want to do is isolate. Trauma wants to isolate us. You want to be alone and you want to be with people. You want to do normal function. So treat them normally. If you would normally go and ask them to go to a movie, ask them, hey, it's Tuesday. We normally go for a movie. What movie do you want to watch today? And they may say, I don't feel like it. I don't want to go. And, okay, can we come watch it at your house on a laptop? 
No, I don't want to watch it on the laptop. Okay, can I just come see you for a few minutes? And you walk in and you make them a cup of tea and you sit with them and you say, I love you, my friend, and you leave. <laughs> Thanks, friend. Point is, you have shown up for them in some way. And you haven't made it about how you want to show up, but you've made it about them because that's what they need in that moment. Don't be their psychologist. They have a therapist. Unless they don't have a therapist, then you advise them to find a therapist. But you're their friend. The minute you begin to be their therapist, you take on a role that is not yours and that will affect your friendship or relationship, whatever the case may be. So make sure there is an external source of help that they go to, to talk and to bounce off things. Pray for them. Sometimes you can't pray for them with them, but you can pray for them in your private space. I know that when I was traumatized, when someone said, let's pray, I was just like, yo, 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 yo. And to put your hands on me and pray again. How many times have people prayed for me? But I appreciated when people said, I've been praying for you this morning, and I just felt to tell you that God sees you. That ministered to me the most. People may be different. So ask, hey, can we pray? And if they say no, don't get offended because you don't know where they're going, what they're going through. Say, okay, my friend, I will pray for you in my private space, but know that I love you and I see you because that's what's important at that moment. For the one with the issue, it's going to be important that you speak up. Like we've said, telling your story is important. You're going to have to break the silence. Colleen said breaking the silence is a start to dealing with your trauma. So it's going to be important that you speak up and that you seek help. Give feedback. When you're going through something and someone says, I'm praying for you, give them some feedback. Thank you for praying for me. I'm really struggling. It's really dark. It's really tough. Because that yields intimacy even between you and the person. The more vulnerable you are, the more people know what to, how to care for you. Siv would have not known that he needs to hug me if I hadn't been saying, something is wrong. And we had a conversation. We both cried outside there for a while because I was trying to make him know that I feel like a leper. I feel like people talk around me and about me, but not to me. Because now there's something different about me. And in that engagement, I think he made a decision to be present in a different way than he had been before. He would have never been able to do that had I not opened my mouth and said something. One Corinthians thirteen four. This is a scripture that you've probably heard, seen, written somewhere, said it somehow. People love works. Love works. So in order to be present for someone, there needs to be a genuine love that is flowing from you. A patience, a kindness, a goodness. A, a disposition toward them that is reflective of who God is in their situation. Loving people who are going through difficult things is not easy. It really, really isn't easy. So the Bible commands us to carry each other's burdens. And part of that is crying out to God that he might fill us with the real deep love that we may be able to extend it to people. We're not asking you to do this out of your own resource or your own strength, but it's part of who we are in the body, that the love that Jesus has shed abroad on us, we can reflect onto each other. And um, just as we segue into the next thing, which is about my diagnosis versus faith, I just want to say this. You know, when you've been diagnosed, when you have a condition, you don't stop being you. 
And so love cuts both ways. You're being loved, but you also love those people. And you are still capable of loving them. And so giving the feedback, saying thank you. I, it's a little difficult to say this to people in, in trouble, but I really want to say it because I've watched how this thing kills relationships. Um, of course, you have to be authentic and honest. You, you can't say, you know, when I went to Ghana, I was looking at people's lives that were a total mess. And when you asked them how they were doing, beyond blessed, beyond blessed. There's this complete denial because they've been taught if you say anything bad, the devil will get you. You're speaking death over your life. So nobody ever has a problem. If you go to that nation, you understand there are a lot of problems, but we're beyond blessed. So you have to be authentic. You've got to be honest, but we've got to avoid super negativity. And one of the things that helps us with that, because when you talk to somebody and they are just negative all the time, it puts a barrier between them, no matter how much you love them. Some of you are saying that because in your families, there are people you love with all your heart and they are so bitter and negative about what's going on. There's just no door in. And so when we find ourselves struggling, when we find ourselves in pain, negativity is easy. We understand that. But you haven't stopped being you. Um, um, let's just go right there. The, my diagnosis versus faith. This is a question we get asked so much. But if I take the medicine, am I not trusting God? But if I see the therapist, am I not trusting the word of God? Well, the answer is no, they are not mutually exclusive. There is a process to this. All of us need a team. None of us can do this alone. You know, we sang it again tonight and it's absolutely true. You are all I need. God is all we need, but because he's all we need, he gets to dictate how we get him. And there are some things I will only get of him through you. Sadly for you, there are some things of him you will only get through me. <laughs> because that's how he's dictated it. He is all I need, but I move as he dictates. And I go as he says. And we all need help. Um, we are not meant to do it alone. We, A, we're meant to do it with him. B, we're meant to do it with each other. The assembly is very important to God. This is why church is not sitting at home watching stuff on the internet. That might be inspiration. It is not church. God might speak to you and bless you. It is not church. And so what I want to say to you is if you are in, if you have a diagnosis, if you are struggling with something right now, what I want to say to you is God is not confused about who you are. When God sees you, he sees you, not your condition, not your diagnosis. He sees you and your purpose. Now, this is also hard for us to grasp, but God is not surprised by anything. So if he called you and you are depressed, if he called you and you have bipolar, if he called you and there is schizophrenia in your life, guess what? He knows exactly how to deal with you in that. That thing will not keep you from being who you need to be. But we have to make a decision to go, God, I see you in the middle of my diagnosis. I see you in the middle of my condition. I think one of the mistakes we make is that we think faith is just for outcomes. That is not what faith is for. Faith is to find God. Faith is to know God. It says in the book of Romans about Abraham, because he believed it was accredited to him as faith. Not because he pushed into outcome. He simply believed. A voice spoke to him. Today we would diagnose him as schizophrenic. A voice spoke to him and said, go to Israel. And he believed that that was God. I think God was speaking to a million other people on the planet in the same space. But Abraham was the only one who believed. 
When Abraham died, there were four legitimate babies. Well, they were grown-ups. I think the twins were about 16. There was Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. That's hardly the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. Am I right? By our standards, he was an utter failure. But we are having this discussion today because of his faith. And he's looking over the balcony of heaven and seeing all of us and seeing that dream come true. And so we have to decide that first and foremost, our faith is about pulling God right into the middle of the problem, right into the middle of the situation, and that that's gonna change the narrative, that this thing will not identify me. And yes, we're human. It's okay to fall apart every now and again. Please do. I, I was saying to our Sunny Hill congregation this morning, and especially to the men, God didn't just give us tear ducts to moisten our eyes between blinks. <laughs> There's actually a purpose to them. And so if you are in a space, do not let shame come and live. It is there already. It's going to try and tell you you are not good enough. But God sees you. Will you see him? And we are out of time. Amen. That was a very good place to stop. <laughs> but I do want to say in closing that there is life after trauma. There is life after the diagnosis. And I'm living testament that God is able to come Amen. and find you and heal you and set you free. Amen. Praise Jesus. Let's give him a hand. One moment. Thank you. Awesome. Um, one thing and then we close. Um, now all of us in this room are either on our way to a cross or you are carrying a cross or you feel like you're on a cross. No matter where you are, I want to tell you this. God is working. You don't see it, and you're not meant to feel it, but you're, you are meant to know it. God is working. He's working on behalf of his kingdom. We want him to work on behalf of us. No, he's working on behalf of his kingdom. No matter where your place is, on carrying a cross or going to one, God is at work in your life. And so I want us to close differently today, but before I actually share how we're gonna close in the uh, prayer moment. I wanna say this, um, next week we have, in fact, today is World AIDS Day, I mean, you know that. Next week we're gonna have a, a blood drive. And so please come with your veins. Um, we would love to use some of your veins to help some people um, by donating blood. Uh, this will be from half past nine to two o'clock in the morning, and so morning and afternoon, so please feel free to be a part of that. And then don't forget, next week is the Christmas event, and so bring money with you. Come and buy as our entrepreneurs are gonna be selling some stuff after the service. So 